Hey guys, today on the Leadership to Wealth podcast, we've got a great guest. He has dedicated his life to building wealth, helping people build wealth and preserve wealth in the world of insurance. We actually talk about how to create your own inheritance. He has built the Howard K. Insurance Company, and our guest today is Howard K. All right, welcome to the Leadership to Wealth podcast. Guys, today's show, we've got Howard Kay. Howard, uh, great to have you on today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Well, Howard, you know, you're, uh, you, you've basically spent a lifetime in insurance. I mean, um, it, it's been there. You spent your whole life there, really. Um, and here on the show, we love to talk about short, shortcutting the learning curve to building wealth and insurance is one of those things that people sort of have a hard time with how in the world do i get to use that to my benefit because really it sounds like the only benefit to having life insurance is when i die i i don't understand help, help me understand uh, where life insurance fits in um, sure you know but Maybe before we maybe before we get into that, guys, you, you we're gonna we're gonna get into that. But Howard, how about you tell us a little bit about your background and uh, and and fill us in. Where where are you from? And uh, born and raised. And uh, give us a little bit of background on sure. the well, man, the myth, said, the legend. As you said, it's uh, you know life insurance is really all I know my whole life, and that's because my father had started back in 1962. Um, he was new into the business. He actually had a very successful uh, radio career as a, a DJ, disc jockey. And to make a long story short, he was with NBC. And when they took uh, all the top jockeys, when Jack Parr retired from The Tonight Show, he was up for it and Johnny Carson got it. So he left radio, went into the stock market and quickly lost everything he had ever made. And so right. I gave him a job selling life insurance for a couple hundred bucks a week. And yeah. uh, so he took it. And that year he broke all records and started his own agency the next year. Yeah. Um, now, at that point, I wasn't even born yet. I was born in 65. We lived out in Los Angeles, California. So that's where I was raised. And just as a little boy, all I ever heard at the dinner table was life insurance. And my father was the type of man that... He, he was just so infectious. It was contagious, you know, and, yeah. and that's the first thing with, with whatever you're doing, the passion that you have within your space. Um, mm. And to me, there was just no other way to go. Like, how could I not want to be a life insurance salesperson? It's funny when we do seminars, I know I say to the audience who are typically older people and I'll say, uh, you know, how many of you had children that ever raised their hand at the table and said, I want to be a life insurance salesman when I grow up. Well, that was me. Not many people do that. But <laughs> that's great. This is what this man instilled in me. And I learned that, sure, if you take life insurance, the traditional route of what you've been exposed to your whole life, you look at life insurance as a form of protection. And everyone wants to spend the least amount of money and get as much as they can. And typically when you're younger, you buy term insurance and you're not thinking of it as a wealth building tool at all. It's just, God forbid I pass away. I want my spouse and my children protected. So you buy life insurance. But it's funny, the mindset of 
younger people, because I'm talking about, you know, a million dollars of 20 year term, meaning it's guaranteed for 20 years, could be five or 600 bucks a year. And my son is new into the business. He's 27. And he'll tell me how people will say to him, you know, we have to think about this. It's a big move. And I'm thinking to myself, you guys will lose six, 700 bucks in a poker game. You'll go out to dinner and spend, but you have to question whether you should have life insurance. Now, interestingly, you have car insurance, right? Because it's mandatory. You have homeowners yeah. insurance because you got to protect your house. Why wouldn't you want to protect your life? So, right. you know, that's the first part of, of how people see life insurance. But we actually took it a completely different uh, way. We wanted to utilize life insurance as a way to create huge wealth for families. Yeah. So really how we started with this was way back into the 80s, talking about estate planning. And for wealthier, fa wealthier families, there was a big estate tax when you pass away. The government was going to take 55% of everything you worked for during your entire lifetime. Yeah. So our approach was to utilize life insurance as a way to offset those estate taxes. Okay. Well, from there, I realized that typically the, the structure is the parents would set up a trust outside the estate and put the kids as beneficiaries of the trust. The trust buys the life insurance. And now when the parents pass away, there's all this money that goes from the trust. Whether right. they use it to pay the estate tax, whether they use it to go buy a home, that's up to them. Okay. Right. And then I realized, well, wait a minute. If the parents are buying this for the kids for the specific purpose of estate planning, what if I, as the child, said, hey, mom and dad, can I take some of my savings that I accumulate each year and buy a policy on you guys? Same type of insurance you just bought for us, but instead of you having the financial burden, we'll have the financial burden, the kids. So I called it create your own inheritance or be your own beneficiary, because what do people hate most about life insurance? They can't touch it. They're never going to see it. They die and someone else gets the money. Yeah. Well, here's the way you get the money. And what's interesting, and, and I'm sure you'll follow along and many of your viewers will as well. One night I was getting a massage. This was years ago. And I said to the guy, um, tell me, what do you plan for retirement? And he says, you know, between my wife and I, we make about one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand a year. And we're putting away twenty thousand dollars a year between our SEP and our IRA and everything. OK. And where do you put the money? And he said, oh, we have a broker and it goes into the market. I said, and you're forty five years old. He said, yeah. I said, when do you plan to retire? He said, seventy. I said, OK. I said, and what's your goal? And he looked at me like I had two heads. What do you mean? What's my goal? Well, you're counting on this for retirement. What do you want it to be worth? And he says, you know, I have no idea. Bless you. Excuse me. He says, I have no idea. I said, isn't that fascinating? You're putting $20,000 a year into something you have no knowledge about, but you're relying on this broker and you're just hoping it's a lot of money. But is that really the right way to plan? He says, well, wait a minute, Howard. The broker showed me if I make 8% a year or 10% or 12%, what it's going to grow to. I said, yes, but... We've all been around long enough to know there is no consistent 8, 10, or 12 percent a year. And it's more likely you're going to make eight, then make three, then lose 12, lose six, be flat, be up nine, so on and so forth. Right. And unfortunately, there's something called Murphy's Law. And that is 
the time that you need the money most, it just isn't there. Yeah. So he says, well, what's the alternative? I said, how about we play a game? We'll, on a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle. On your side, put 10000 a year with an arrow down and a big question mark because you have no idea what it's going to be worth. On my side, I'm going to put 10000 a year and I'm going to put $700,000 tax-free. He says, how do you come up with that number? I said, how old are your parents? He said, 69. I said, well, for $10,000 a year, assuming they're in good health, I can buy a policy on the two of them, which means it doesn't pay off till they both pass, for $700,000 of death benefit. You'll be the owner of it. Now, when you are 70 in 25 years, they'll be 94. They're not supposed to be here. But hopefully, God willing, they are. And right. if they are, the fortune that your broker made you with his 10000 a year, go use retirement. Because it's just a matter of time before your folks do end up passing away. And there's 700000 coming, which is the equivalent of a million dollars in the market after tax. Right. I said, but if God forbid they pass early, wow, that was a windfall. 700000 tax-free because all life insurance proceeds are tax-free came in. And he said, but wait a minute. You mean I'm buying insurance on my parents? Isn't that morbid? Well, it depends how you look at it. I mean, in my family, we joke about death because it's <laughs> we're in the life insurance business. But the point being is there is a, a human life asset that we all have. Right. And if you can buy insurance on your parents for your benefit, but not have any financial burden to them, they'd be thrilled to help you create money. And here's a way that we don't have to worry about the ups and the downs of the market. And that's really when I created this whole create your own inheritance or be your own beneficiary. So that's one of the first ways that we show people how to create money by buying insurance on their family members. Wow, that that was amazingly concise. I, I'm just going to go over this again just to make sure I heard this correctly, because that's that's probably the best. I've explanation I've ever heard from someone speaking in, about the insurance market. So, and creative. So we're talking about not just, I mean, obviously there's the traditional way of insuring yourself, but in terms of building wealth, one of the things that you're talking about here is, hey, the problem is if you're insuring yourself, when you die, great, your kids get to enjoy it. There's There's really nothing in there for you other than knowing you're doing something good for when when you pass right in this scenario the the problem is hey how do we get to enjoy some of this money and so you've actually what uh build your own inheritance create your own inheritance create create your own inheritance or be your own beneficiary or be your own beneficiary love it uh bob be your own beneficiary and then and then basically when your parents pass it I mean, obviously, you're already sad in that time when when that that stuff happens. Um, but now there's, uh, you know, there is something Listen, joyous about it as well. <laughs> we're all going to be sad, but but it's yeah. a well-known fact. We're all going to die one day. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, you know, people can sit and say and, and be judgmental and say, well, it's such a morbid thing or you're trying to profit Look, off of their death. No, it's not that I'm trying to profit, but I guarantee you. Yeah. When you go to your mailbox and there's a check in there, you you ain't saying I'm going to send it back to the insurance company because I don't want to profit from yeah. 
the death. You know, I had a friend of mine some years ago and we bought insurance on his mom and it took him a while to understand. He just couldn't grasp it, but we did it. And then she did pass away and he calls me up. He says, Howie, you know, I got a check for $3 million. He says it was the largest single check I've ever received in my life. And it's all a result of the insurance. He said, so whatever, you know, crap I gave you early on, thank you. Because right. it just makes such a difference in my life. Right. So, right. yeah, there is the psychological aspect. But again, yeah. it, and it's a tough conversation for a lot of people to have with their parents. Right. But that's the nut and bolts of it. But, it, I mean, if you're a parent yourself, you, you it should really make sense in, in a lot of ways. Because you would be more than happy to to do something like that so that your kids can can have some money You're in right, the same will, way, right? I will tell you that with all the insurance that my parents bought for my brother and sister and I, um, I had said to him years back, he was buying another policy for charity yeah. to leave money to a charitable organization. And at the end... And something pissed him off about the organization. See, I'm not buying. I said, well, dad, are you still going to buy the policy? Buy it for the three of us. And he said, no, we've got enough insurance. And I turned around. I looked at him. I said, well, do you mind if we buy it on you? And he looked at me like, why would you do that? I'm like, dad, because this is what you've taught me my whole life. Life insurance is so good. He goes, yeah, but you're buying it on me. I said, but is it any different then the policies that you bought on you for our benefit that you paid for, it's the same policy, only mm. we're going to pay for it. You don't have to pay for it. And it took him a minute and he said, you know, you're right. I just had the same reaction that everybody else always has, but you're right. It's, what's the difference? I don't have to pay right. for it. And if right. we got it available, take it. Sure, be my guest. Yeah. So, it, But it is a tough conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I can. I mean, it's definitely out of the box for, you know, mainstream culture, shall we say, or society. But it's definitely a very creative way to to go about being able to <laughs> create some wealth. Uh, so now what I'm really curious about is that that's I, I'm what I'm really curious about is why isn't this done more talked about more? I mean, you would think that, I mean, I think that it would just make sense to talk about it from this perspective uh, well, more often. But yeah, but for listen, some reason, that's not really talked about in mainstream. Well, listen, Is it the type of policy? No, it's same type of universal life or whole life of permanent policy. It's just, yeah. you know, your information is only as good as the person that's supplying it. Yeah, that's right. You were right. right? Yes. So... You know, I can't help that my mind works in certain creative ways. Now, the insurance companies don't love the idea from the standpoint of you're trying to buy life insurance to profit, but um, they limit it. So, in other words, if you had parents that only had $200,000 in net worth, I can't buy a million-dollar policy. Okay. But if they're worth a million or two or five, yeah. Can I buy a million or two? Sure. So it right. also there's a lot of the financial underwriting that goes along with it. Now, right. another way that many people aren't familiar with is the life settlement marketplace. 
And yes, this, I I heard you talk about this. I was watching some of your videos, and you were talking a little bit about it. Please share more about that. Yeah, that's um, the secondary market where there are major hedge funds throughout the world that have allocated certain monies um, and uh, towards this space. And what they do is they're basically purchasing your existing policy based on an arbitrage. Um, and what that means is that when you buy insurance, let's say your preferred health, best health you can be, but now years go on and your health changes. Well, they then look at your medical records and determine what your life expectancy is based on your new declined health. But they're buying a policy that was rates are predicated on you being in superior health. So that's the arbitrage. So they figure right. out how much they're going to have to put into the policy, what they can afford to pay you up front, and at the end of the day, make the return that they want to do, and someone decides whether they want to do this or not. Now, this is really only once you hit 70 years of age. In some cases, you can do it in your 60s, and it's all permanent policies. But interestingly, we just had a gentleman who's in his mid-60s. He's had some major health changes, but he still has about a 20-year life expectancy. And he has a million-dollar term policy that he's paying somewhere around $6,000 a year for. He's only got three more years on the policy. He's had it for seven years. And he says, I'm not going to um, convert it, meaning make it into permanent so I can keep it forever because it's going to cost me like 22000 a year. I was just going to hold it for three more years. I said, well, you have the ability to convert it. We know you can't buy new insurance right now because of your health. We know that you don't want to spend the money on converting it to a permanent policy. But what if I could sell it? He says, how can you do that? Well, we're, we're going to convert it to a permanent policy and have the funder buy it. Well, we got him an offer of $90,000. Now, remember, term insurance, it's worthless. There's no cash value. There's nothing. You get nothing. He's ready to be done with it. And all of a sudden, he just picked up $90,000, which is basically him doubling his money over the last seven years. So he's yeah. thrilled. And that's the way somebody can get out of their policy. For older people that have large policies, you know, I don't solicit the life settlement, in other words, trying to convince people to sell, because I think life insurance is great to have. Right. But there comes a point when someone's older and we can see what their life expectancies are. Does it make sense to take whatever you're offered combined with the premiums you would have been paying? And based on your investment strategies, could you invest that money? And at the end of that right. same period of time, end up with the same death benefit. If mathematically you feel comfortable with that equation, then it makes right. sense to sell, you know? Right. So the life settlement offers a lot of different approaches. Also, one other thing, people that have policies that don't want to pay premiums anymore, but they still want to leave money to their family, they can sell the policy in the secondary market, but instead of taking cash, their family will get a percentage of the death benefit, but you never have to pay any more premiums. So that's another way wow. companies will yeah. buy your policy. So it's a very interesting way to go. Wow. That that really is amazing. I, now, here's something. For, for me, being here in Canada, I've got to ask the question. We hear so much uh, in the U.S. Uh, around insurance and how people are using it. And, you know, you're sharing these. And I'm curious why 
insurance isn't as big, say, perhaps in Canada or in other parts of the world, it's like the U.S. has figured out this brilliant way to to utilize insurance. Um, can you speculate at all in terms of why why that is? Uh, no, I really have no idea. <laughs> I, mean, I know in Canada, you know, one of your big companies is Manufacturers Life. Yeah. which is a big life Manual. insurance Yeah, that's right. There. Yeah. Um, laws are different. You know, in Canada, you guys used to have what they called term to 100. And it was mm-hmm. literally term insurance, but it didn't run out. And that was a very huge seller. And you guys had that way before we ever had anything like that with these guaranteed right. policies. Um, many of the companies in the States aren't doing business in foreign countries. Mm-hmm. Um However, we are able to write on foreign nationals if someone has a residence or if there's a green card, something to that effect. And if they have assets in the States, then we can. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, listen, all over the world, there are various insurance companies. I just have no idea how they're marketing to those people. But it seems that for the very high net worth, it's always available one way or the other because they'll make (laughs) themselves, you know, accessible to it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That uh, well, uh, right off the get-go, I'm I'm thinking here. Hmm. I wonder if we have the access to be able to um insure my parents or something like that. That you know what what you're talking you about do, there. You do, but not with a US company unless right. they had a place here. Um right. also the life settlement market they won't buy a Canadian yeah. policy unless the po- the person can live there, but they can't. But, the policy has to be domiciled in the States. But interestingly yeah. enough, years ago, we had a client from Canada, but he was a physician and he used to come to Texas every week because um, that's where he had one of his offices. So we had bought the policy in Texas. Right. He had passed and the policy was on him and his wife. And she didn't, she wanted to sell it and get money. And we were unable to because in the territory that she was in, in Canada, uh, and it might have been Ontario, they, they're not allowed to transact oh. like some. Okay. So it's also based on your province or territory. Right. Yeah, that's right. What laws are, are able to be done. Wow. Well, it's definitely something that I'm, um, that- this this is brand new that that you're bringing to me. I've not heard this before, and um, you know I thought I'd heard just about right. uh, about all of them. So I really appreciate this. And something that I personally would would like to look into and see what what uh, they do allow uh, here for Canadians right. here in the province of Ontario. Um, now, now, now for younger people, you know, yes. we've created income producing types of products. Really? So, for example, um, and I, again, I don't know what they have up in, in yeah. Canada, but yeah. here yeah. they're called indexed universal life. Okay. okay, yes. So a universal life policy is a permanent policy. You pay a premium every year, and out of your premium, the insurance company deducts the cost of insurance charges and administrative charges. Okay. And then there, whatever's left over goes in your cash value. Well, that's where we're always trying to pay the least premium to get the most death benefit to have that leverage. 
Yeah. These indexed universal life policies have a different approach. The, the, the approach is I want to buy the least amount of death benefit and I want to fund it with the most amount of money. And I say, why would I want to do that? Because of here in the States, the tax advantages that we get with life insurance. Right. I'm buying it for the strategy of income, but in order to get the tax-free benefits, I have to have it called life insurance. So as an example, somebody wants to put away money each month. So we just had a young gentleman, I think he was 45 years old or so, and he's putting away $1,500 a month, so $18,000 a year. And he wants to start taking income out at the age of 65. He has a choice of indexes, the S&P 500, yeah. the insurance company has their own, a Barclays index. So different, you know, depends on your volatility level and all. And they're point to point. So if you buy the S&P, it's this from this date to one year from now. Now, they cap you on the upside. So there may okay. be a 9 or a 10% cap. But on the okay. downside, if the market goes down, your worst case is zero. You can't get right. negative. Right. So that's the protection. So the idea is someone keeps paying this money. Now, his death benefit is very small. It only came out to about $300,000 or so for that much premium. Why? Mm -hmm. Because if I reduce the death benefit anymore, the uh, U.S. would say, this doesn't qualify as life insurance. As insurance, right. So you won't get the tax benefits. So right. we buy what the minimum is. Now, what's the advantage? When he turns 65, based on what his returns have been, which he'll be able to see every year, he can now start taking money out of the policy. And how is he going to do that? He's going to do it through a loan process. Yes. Why yeah. a loan? Because with yes. life insurance, you can take a loan and you don't pay tax. The only right. thing he wants to make sure is never to cancel the policy because if you ever cancel in the future the irs will come back and say oh it doesn't exist anymore you now owe us tax on all that money you took out. right but right if you die with the policy you got no issue so this right. has been a great way for younger people to just diversify and say okay we do have monies in the markets but here's a maybe a safer way i know i'm not going to make as much if the markets go crazy but if the markets go bad i'm not going to get hurt and here's a way that whether I want to take income for a certain number of years, whether I want to take a lump sum out at a certain age, that can all be done. And that's what we call the index universal life. Wow. Wow. Uh, a multitude. I, you know, that's it's interesting that you're talking about that, because one of the things in our current environment with social media is you hear so many people going on talking about these different uh, different avenues, opportunities, and how you can utilize uh, life insurance, especially in the States. And you guys are very creative. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I would say to any of the listeners, in the, if you're in the U.S., you really need to uh, reach out to Howard and, uh, and, and his firm there and find out more about how you can capitalize on it. Um, it but one of the things when you hear all of these different opportunities and strategies in in social media you're trying to just figure out are can this really work is this true and and then there's this overarching narrative when it comes to insurance how do i know that they're actually going to pay and that there isn't some sort of loophole because everybody's heard of some loophole where 
then the insurance company didn't have to pay. How true is that? Or is that just like some old wives tale, some yeah. urban legend that's out there? Yeah, basically. I mean, <laughs> if, if life insurance companies were, you know, arbitrarily just not paying, I mean, it'd be the downfall of a multi-trillion dollar industry. So yeah. they can't get away with that. Now, insurance companies here in the States have a two-year contestability period. And what mm -hmm. that means is in the event that you passed within two years, they automatically contest the policy. doesn't mean they're not going to pay out. It just means they're going to check everything. So, for example, if you didn't disclose a particular physician, for example, right. um, then they could contest that policy. If you lied about something, they could contest that policy. But I've had cases where I remember years ago we sold this woman a very large policy and after she bought it, she was dead nine months later. Wow. And after she bought the policy, she was diagnosed with stage four cancer and went very quickly. Well, the insurance companies went through it, through it and they did see, based on their underwriting, she had no sign of it at that time. There was no right. doctors. Or, and it wasn't until after, like three months later, that all of a sudden she got it or it was diagnosed and then she right. passed. So they paid out a death benefit. Right. Um, there were policies from years ago with premium financing that big hedge funds bought that the insurance companies have tried to contest paying out, but not to the consumer. Um, they're saying it was more of a, a, an investment strategy, a gamble, and that's not what life insurance is. But no, when we talk about the consumer, death benefits are paid out by the multi billions of dollars every year. And that's just what it is. Yeah. Yeah, that that's it's a good point, you know. And I'm sure that, you know, and we always wonder, hey, how do in, the insurance companies make it work that when they're paying out this much money, you know, what do they have to be making on that money to be able to uh, to well, be able the to do that? The thing is that in the industry, so let's look at term policies for for yeah. a moment. Well, term policies are just a no brainer for insurance company because how many people really are dying with that, with that term policy when they're younger. So that's all money coming in. Number two, when they sell a permanent policy to you, the vast majority of those policies are not even on the books when someone dies. And why is that? Because there's something called lapse supported policies, meaning the insurance companies know what percentage of people will lapse a policy before they die? So they collected okay. all those premiums, then they're off the hook. Yeah. Number two, well, if you had a policy for 20 years, for example, just like anything in this world, there's better knowledge, there's better technology, there's advances in the industry, new products are created. You know, the old in the old days, when I go back to the 60s and 70s, um, which would be for your younger people in the 1900s, <laughs> uh, you know, it was heresy to ever consider changing your life insurance policy to another company. It just wasn't done. You bought it, you held it. Well, we've come to find that many people bought insurance years ago that have no understanding of it. They've never really looked at it. They don't know how the assumptions are, if the policies are performing correctly, and quite often, even if you're 20 years older, we'll come in and show someone how to switch that policy to another company for tremendous savings. Mm -hmm. Well, 
when you do that, the original company is off the hook with the policy. So the percentage of policies that pay out compared to what are sold are much less than you would ever realize just by the nature of human beings and what we do with switching and getting out and moving on. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. Um, well, let, let me ask a, another question because something I've, I've seen quite a bit where people start talking about um, insuring their kids and, you know, even along the lines of what we're talking, what you're talking about here, it almost seems like, okay, you can do that. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily sound, you know, like my kids are teenagers. What's the benefit of, of insuring them at this age is from a, just from a holistic standpoint. Well, the idea was that it was a way for a grandparent to buy a policy on their newborn grandchild. Mm -hmm. And this way, it was very inexpensive. They put a little money away each month. And by the time the kid was 18, ready to go to college, she'd have a nice cash fund and they could use that money. So right. that was the kind of, or have a little savings account for them. Um, but I've never been a big proponent of that. That's yeah. one of the things that the insurance companies would teach their captive agents in-house because right. you got to just start knocking on the door, so to speak. And here was right. an idea. Let's buy it on your kid. Um, in your case, the only reason you would do something would be, let's say, on one of these indexed types of policies right. where you're just saying, I want to give them a start to get money put away. And maybe 10 years from now, they'll start paying for it, contributing to it so that they have a big nest egg. But other than that, no. Is there any reason for them to have it? No. Right, right. Okay. Um, interesting. And and now, for, my, for me, being in real estate, um, you know, and specializing in real estate, one of the things that's always talked about is the opportunity to use insurance to uh, buy out partners. You know, if, if three of us are in on a deal, and one of us, uh, one of us dies, then you have an insurance policy on each other so that uh, that then that right. partner so is bought out. Can so you speak to that? A, a buy-sell agreement. Mm -hmm. So a buy-sell agreement basically is saying that the three of you have come up with a, a, a plan that says, what happens if one of us should pass away? Well, typically, if you passed away, you'd say, hey, it's the, my, my one-third share is going to my spouse or to my kids. And then the other two partners are looking at each other and saying, we don't want your spouse or your kids <laughs> as our partners, just like you wouldn't want ours to be your partner, right? Right. So that's where the idea comes in, where you value the business and say, hey, why don't we each buy a, a policy? So let's just say it was a million dollars each of your shares. Well, you're going to each buy a million dollar term policy is sufficient because mm -hmm. the first question I'm going to say is, you think you're going to keep the portfolio more than 10 years? 15 years, 20 years, most people say, no, it's our bill, we'll probably sell it, whatever. So let's just say it was 20 year term. So each buy a million dollars. And this way, the beneficiary is the company. And this way, the company has money to pay out your family to take their one third share. Right. And this way, you don't have to be concerned that you're going to be now in partnership with someone else's spouse or children. Right, right. Um, 
Now, alongside of that, I also yeah. look at what we call key man insurance. So, yes. for example, if the three of you are partners, mm-hmm. but you have different people working for you or salespeople or whomever, and you find there's somebody that organi- in your organization that is so key to the success each year of it, and if, God forbid, they passed away, how is that going to affect your bottom line numbers? That's where we also buy insurance on that key person within your wow. company. And that wow. way, you know, you're protected at least for a year before you find somebody, but you don't have to scramble all over the place. Right, right. Wow. Wow. Uh, just out of curiosity, do you know if if that type of insurance is available uh, north of the border? I would assume. I would uh, assume. Okay, great. great. Like in my office, you know, I have insurance on my assistant, on my my underwriter, on two of my salespeople. Yeah. Because you never know. Yeah. So let let me ask this question now from from the business mind of Howard. Uh, how what what keeps you motivated? What drives you to continue to build the business after all of these years of of being in the industry? Um, I like the creativity of it. I love numbers. I love playing with numbers, um, and I really enjoy meeting with people and. And just seeing how I can help solve concerns of theirs with respect to legacy planning or estate planning, um, you know that that part I love. You know, it's interesting. Somebody will come into my office, and we'll be together for two hours, and I would say maybe twenty minutes is really taken to discuss business, and the rest is just hearing about people's lives. And you know, I always find that there's always a golden nugget in a conversation that you have with somebody. It's just pulling out those little nuggets. So I really enjoy meeting with people and just hearing about their life and then kind of massaging in what it is we do, if it's of interest to them, and then go from there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I I appreciate that uh, insight because it's very much the same way for me when people are talking about how does real estate, uh, private lending, private, or you guys refer to it as hard money lending. How does all of that stuff work in for someone? And being able to hear that is hear what they're trying to achieve, why they're trying to achieve it, uh, is some of the the real excitement there. And right. um, now I'm I'm curious. And now I'm I'm really curious about uh, learning more on the insurance side and and even seeing where where there are synergies there. Um, but let me ask this question: You 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 started in as a family business, and right. uh, have you continued to keep it as a family business, or have you expanded operations? And uh, because you're you're very niche at the same time, so. So maybe you've chosen not to do that. Well, when we, what direction when my have father you taken first the company? started, um, he was a general agent with a big company in, in yeah. uh, Worcester, Mass, called State Mutual of America. And then he probably had an organization with 100 agents in the wow. office. So he had a big organization. My brother then joined in the early 70s. My sister, my mother was always hiring people. Um, and then in the mid-80s, basically realized that it doesn't make sense to be a a general agent with just one company. I want to be able to go out to all companies because no one company is right for everybody. So we became brokers. That's when I got into the business. And we always had maybe 10, 12 agents with us. 
Um, and the way I got to Florida is we started doing a lot of national advertising back on CNBC and CNN and everything. And uh, we would do seminars throughout the country. So we had 50 agents throughout the country um, that were sending us $2,000 a month that we put towards advertising. So back then we were spending 100,000 a month. I was getting 200 leads a day coming in on the phones and then I'd ship them out to the agents in their respective areas. Um, unfortunately in Florida, when we were doing some seminars, two of the agents forgot we were their partners to um, multi-millions of dollars. So that's when I said to my father, you know what, I'm gonna move to Florida and, and let's just get rid of all the agents. So we, we, we really did scale it back in that respect. But still today I have here in my office about nine of us, um, three agents, plus my son who just joined me two years ago, and then another three of staff or four of staff. Um, my brother runs our office out in Los Angeles still, um, but he's really just kept it to himself. So it's it's the name and it originally was called Barry K Associates, now it's Howard K Insurance, my brother's is Alan K. But we also in 99 sold to a company in New York called NFP, National Financial Partners. Um, they were doing, it was Apollo, the big uh, investment fund that put up $125 million to start a, a conglomerate, so to speak, of all different insurance professionals. And um, we were part of the first 14 group that was bought before they could go public. And we did. And then in 2011, the company really became so big that I always did a lot of uh, marketing. And I had used to have a show in Palm Beach on NBC, on PBS. And I wanted to interview our chairman and they sent their compliance officers to me and said, we need to see your script. I said, I don't script anything. The red light goes on the camera and I go. <laughs> they said, well, we can't do that. We're a New York Stock Exchange company. And I realized when they told me that they own my name and that I can't use my name if I want, I went back to the chairman and I said, listen, it's been a pleasure the last 10 years. I want to buy myself back. And I did. And uh, so I'm now back on my own again. Right. <laughs> so you've really played the the game of freedom more than anything else is is what I'm hearing. And and it really sounds in line with what you try to build with your clients is, oh, is create that freedom. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, because one of the things that you, you find anyone in business, anyone that's that's into the world of investing, you know, we can be very alpha and Part of that is you build, build, build. And at some point, you don't even know why you're building. You just build because that's the part that you you love about it. And um, but what happens eventually is you get to a point. And I mean, how many stories have we heard of uh, men that have built these businesses, but their family lives have fallen apart and these other aspects have right. fallen apart because we fall in so much in love with with this thing that we've found that we're good at. And, um, and what I'm really hearing from you is you've really been able to take that approach and look at, look at all of these things and go, you know what, having this freedom, having my family around me, because you Absolutely. keep mentioning it, right? Having my family around me, this is, uh, this is really what I'm about building. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. When and and where did you get that from? Did you get that from the those dinner table talks? Yeah, I mean, this, listen, that was the way my family was. You know, my mother and father just always instilled in the three of us that 
no matter what, you each have each other and you're never going to let a fight get in between you and you're always going to make up and you're always going to love each other no matter what. And that's it. And, uh, you know, my uh, ex-wife and I did that with our three kids. Yeah. Um, and my kids are now 27, 26 and 24. They speak to each other multiple times a day on FaceTime. They're best friends. And to make sure that they understood the importance of family, as difficult as it was going through the divorce 10 years ago, um, I'm very close with my ex-wife. My ex-wife is very close with my new wife, and I'm very close with her husband. We do all holidays together. We wow. do everything together. So it's the idea that your family, at the end of the day, those are the only people really that you can rely on. And you better make sure to make sure that that relationship is as good as it gets because you know, uh, I was talking to my wife about this the other day. You know, I, I lost my parents a couple of years ago, both to COVID within five days of each other. And my brother and sister are 10 and 12 years older than me. But they are the only people in this world that are able to share the same grieving experience that I'm able to share because we all have that one common thing, my mother and father. There's nobody else I can share that with. Sure, I can talk about it with people, but I can't share the emotion, the feeling, because we both connect with that. So there's certain things when you're family, and I see siblings that don't speak, and you wonder, like, for what? You really got so offended, and you curse the person out, and then you're just not going to talk anymore? So that's just not what I come from. So family, to me, is the most important of all. Wow. Um since since we're on that topic of family and you know we're we're talking about shortening the learn, learning curve to building wealth one of the things that i realize is that you know as human beings we're all multivariant we all have these different aspects can you perhaps say something to what you learned through your relationship and perhaps even uh the the separation the divorce what you learned that you're able to then keep this, this family unit together, even through that? Well, I just knew that when we were going through it, um, things get bitter. And uh, but it was always a function of, you know, the kids are younger and I am going to do the best that I can to not allow this to affect them. I already know just the sheer aspect of what was happening is affecting them, but it can't make it better if their parents are just sitting there fighting all the time. Yeah. So I just made that decision. That's the way it was going to be. And I spoke with my ex-wife about it. I said, this is how we're going to do it. And she knew it was right because she came from the other type of family where this one doesn't talk to this and so on and so right. forth. She didn't yeah. want that for the kids. And, mm. uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't easy getting there. But there was, you know, remember something. We loved each other. We got married, right? Yeah. That feelings are still there. So because of circumstances that took place and now, you know, bitterness that comes in or resentment at certain times, all that's meaningless if you go back to the core of what it is that you all created. And only I can share with my ex our beautiful children. Sure, my my wife, my new wife loves my kids. They love her and it's important. She never had children. So she just loved the idea of having, you know, new stepkids. 
and my ex-wife has two new stepkids from her husband. But it's the point that only the two of us can get that same kind of joy when we see our kids smile or or do something or have an accomplishment. Everyone else can say, oh, my God, that's incredible. But they can't share that same emotion that comes from within us because we had them. So I think those are the things that people forget about when you're talking about relationships and emotions. Like, where did it all stem from originally? And if you realize where it came from, you could get it back at a different point in life, maybe under certain different circumstances. Yeah. But it's all there. Yeah. I I mean, the the uh, when, when you talk about divorce, when you talk about, you know, a family unit breaking down in that way, the what you normally see is one people start having to they start trying to th- throw mud at one another and you're and to almost go down that road, they start trying to throw away any of the good that was there. So that was really powerful to hear. Hey, no, look, I we got together because we loved each other. So so being able to find that commonality really makes sense that you're able to hold that together. But the other thing that that is um, I'm really curious about, maybe you can lend us your wisdom on this is when going through that type of difficulty, going through that type of difficulty, how do you continue to build your business? How do you continue to uh, move forward in in that way when you've got this type of turmoil going on um, on the home front? That's a good question. I don't know. I don't even know if I did build my business. <laughs> um, yeah, I just made sure to come in every day and it was yeah. tough. It was distracting. Um, but, you know, after being in business for so many years, I'm not one that's really goes out to solicit people. You know, I kind of sit and wait for people to call in or from our marketing or like right now we're doing a lot of social media stuff. But I guess the main thing is with any um, uh, distractions in life, um, it's just forging forward. You know, you just keep going forward because if you become stagnant, stand still, there's only one place to go and that's backwards. And I still had a lot of responsibilities. So, you know, you always look back and say, God, how did I do it? How did I make it happen? I still look and say, how did I get my three kids through university, all going to private schools and everything? It's mind boggling to me. Um, When I had to pay alimony, which was a huge number, again, mind boggling to me. How did I do it when I'm today looking back? But when you're pressed against the wall, you have no choice, right? And somehow... Something within you just takes over and you do what you need to do. I guess that's the best answer I can give because <laughs> I don't know how it happened. Maybe God did it. You know, it just right. helped me continue. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, I know that that going through those types of difficult times, sometimes it's, you know, uh, death of a loved one. Sometimes it's, you know, uh, there is so much internal conflict there, right? Because especially as an alpha, you know, you're, you're known and you know yourself as someone who's able to fix things and, and make things happen and here something's not working. And you almost have to come to a point where you, you have to accept some sort of failure. And I know I've, I've gone through, I, I remember a moment when I was having panic attacks. And, and I thought, okay, I got to breathe. All, all 
I could do was think to myself, all right, breathe. This is not going to kill you. And, and then once I calm down, all right, let's move forward. And, uh, but it was a real, really difficult to take that on and to be able to move forward because uh, everything in you says, does this mean I'm a failure? But I think as you get older and you mature and you realize you don't have as much time left and you become more patient, um, you're wiser, you learn to do things in a different way. Um, you know, even the story about the brisket that we were talking about earlier. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, the burnt brisket. Please tell us. <laughs> when my wife called me uh, Tuesday morning after cooking it in the slow cooker, but we put it on high and she calls me frantic that it's burnt. And I'm saying, oh, no, burnt ends are great. Maybe in the middle it's tender. No, no, this thing is burnt. Well, now it's like 10 o'clock in the morning. We've got people coming at 530. It takes hours to cook these briskets. I'm scurrying around. Now she's frantic. She's hysteric. And I'm like, listen, you got to take a breath. You got to calm down because complaining about it is not going to solve the problem. Right now, we have an issue. We need to solve the problem. So I'm very good at being able to take myself outside of the emotion for the moment and say, I can always come back to crying, being upset, not understanding how did I do it? What an idiot I am. I failed at this way. But right now, I don't have time for that. Right now, I need a solution. So I got up, I left the office, I found the solution, we got home, I got home, and she's so beside her, I was like, let's not worry, let's just do the recipe, let's put, it's never gonna be done. I said, I don't want to focus on things that are out of my control. I can only work on things that I can control, and if people are gonna have to wait another hour to eat, we'll, We'll tell some jokes, whatever it is. I mean, we'll figure it out. Let's not stress all day. I can't make this be the purpose of my day by stressing out about all this. And I think that's a quality that I learned many years ago. I know it's easier said than done. And it really didn't matter what I said to her. She was very upset by this and understandably so. But when you think about it, it's like, okay, how long do I want to be upset for? Because that's not going to help. Right. Right. It's just going to make me. uh, Am I looking for pity? What am I looking for? So let's get out of that mindset and say, damn it, I'm going to do the best job I can with what I got to work with. Yeah. We should call the episode business and life building through from from burnt brisket. Right. Business life building from burnt brisket. That that's amazing. So. uh, All right, Howard, you you've shared. Thank you so much. You shared so much wisdom in in obviously uh, knowledge and insurance, uh, wisdom in life. What's next for you, for the agency, for life, for Howard Kay? Um, Well, listen, we continue to be in the industry, selling life insurance, selling people's policies in the secondary market. Like I said, we used to do a lot of advertising, TV, newspapers, but the whole media thing has changed so much. So now we've been doing a big campaign on social media, Facebook and Instagram. And we've got a few different verticals that we're going down there. So we'll see how that goes. And then I actually started about a year ago a technology company where um, we're looking to partner right now and we'll be raising money. But we created um, a a technology to offload personal identifiable information, PII data, from a company's uh, servers into the cloud 
within a blockchain, which hasn't been done. And we had IBM build it. And we're now going through a statement of work to have them build the rest of it and see if we partner with them or any of the other big uh, companies out there. So that's been pretty exciting. Yeah, that that sounds very exciting. Um, do do you have a name for that company that we can keep an eye out for? Yeah, it's, it's called Eposit Box. Eposit Box. Okay, uh, coin token coming coming to uh, uh, what what's it called? Um, a uh, an exchange. Oh, an exchange. <laughs> exchange soon. Um, okay, Let's that see. that's great. Um, when when do you expect to be able to launch that? Well, we're, uh, you know, it's it's really um, just to have to build the rest of it, but we're going to have to raise money. So we're putting yeah. all that together right now to go about yeah. that. And yeah. someone's just going to buy it, but we'll see what happens. Wow. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. And and Howard, if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way or where can they find you? Well, very easy. Um, the easiest number people can reach me is 800-DIE-RICH. You'll never forget that number. D-I-E-R-I-C-H. <laughs> The other number I have is 800 Live Rich. You can get to me the same way, L-I-V-E-R-I-C, just don't dial the H. Um, so that's one way. Uh, they can also call 866-ASK-HOW and the letter K. So we've got all those spelled out. Um, or HowardKInsurance.com, all spelled out. Uh, and we've got a tremendous website, lots of information on there. And we have some new downloadables that will be coming from the social media ads that we're doing that people yeah. can download. So yeah, very, very good. And like, like I said, lots of information. And and where do people find you on social media? You said Instagram and Facebook? Yeah, Howard K Insurance. Yeah, Howard K Insurance. Great. Yeah. yeah well, I uh, really want to thank you for coming on the show today and uh, you. sharing your wisdom, your knowledge. I uh, really appreciate that. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And we'll speak soon again. All right. Thank you very much, Howard. Guys, uh, you know, please go check out Howard and, uh, you know, take some notes. We're we're going to continue down this road of learning some more about insurance and uh, we'll we'll uh, keep you more in the loop for those of you here in Canada. Um, but for if you're already in the States, then obviously reach out to Howard and and you can uh, die rich or live rich. <laughs> you got it. All, right. All right. Thanks a lot, Howard. Take care. Take care.